more. Glorious day, fellow traveler. Welcome to Science and God with Dr. G. That's me, Dr. Michael Gillen, physicist, astronomer, mathematician, and Christian. That's right. Living, breathing evidence that science and Christianity are not mortal enemies, but good friends. Actually, an awesome power couple. Okay, so today I want to explore a fascinating topic you don't hear much about. Sacred spaces. What do I mean by that? Well, if you go on the internet, you're going to see all kinds of definitions of sacred space. From a shrine in your house dedicated to idols, to a hideaway somewhere where you can unwind and center yourself. To a place where, as one New Age author put it, you can cultivate, quote, a sense of awe and wonder in your life, unquote. All right. For me, um, as a Christian, a sacred space is more profound than that. For example, here's a good starting point. A sacred space is a physical location, natural or man-made, that has a palpable spiritual power to it, okay? A power that amplifies your connection to God and to the unseen world. Now, I admit, even this definition's a little vague, but like I said, it's a start. We're gonna flesh it out as we go, okay? So go ahead, mobilize your SQ, my friend, and let's get going, all right? <laughs> Let me start back in the 1990s. You know, I became good friends with Dr. Robert Schuler. You might remember him. Uh, he's dead now, but back then he was the senior pastor at the Crystal Cathedral in Garden Grove, California. That's Southern California. Now, today it's called the Christ Cathedral, and it's run by the Catholic Church. It's a tall, spectacular building made of glass. You can see it from the freeway, and it sits on a beautiful 34-acre campus. There's nothing like it in the world. If you haven't been there, if you're ever in the area, go go. It's, it's a beautiful place to just meditate uh, for an afternoon. Anyway, one day out of the blue, Dr. Schuler invited me to join him on a field trip. You know, just like high school. Let's go on a field trip. <laughs> he said he was going to meet with some experts at the University of California at Irvine, which was not too far away from the Crystal Cathedral, to learn about sacred spaces. You know, I knew nothing about the subject. That's the first time I had even ever heard the expression sacred spaces. So, you know me, out of curiosity, I said, yeah, let's go. I went with him. Now, I can tell you, my friend, in the 20-some years since that fascinating day, which I'll never forget, I've come to learn a great deal about sacred spaces. Now, for one thing, they remind me of a report and this might sound a little bit odd, but you'll see what I mean in a minute. But they remind me of a report I once did for Good Morning America on the Vienna Boys Choir. <laughs> yeah, I flew to Vienna, Austria, interviewed the boys and their director, and I listened to them perform at the famous Musikverein, which is also known as the Great Hall, 
which is also known as the Golden Hall, because its interior, which is magnificent, is covered with gold leaf. I mean, they must have spent a fortune on the gold leaf. Now, the Golden Hall is widely hailed as having the best acoustics of any concert hall in the world. You know what? I agree. Because when I was there listening to the boys sing, and I was an audience of one, it was amazing. I was transported to a place that was not of this world. There's no other way to put it. You know, I told myself, this is what heaven must be like, listening to those heavenly voices. Listen to how one person put it. He was a tourist who stopped by and listened to a concert at the Golden Hall. Quote, the acoustics in the Golden Hall are as amazing as what people have been raving about. It's as if we can feel the music seeping through our bones, unquote. Think about that, seeping through our bones. That's a good way of putting it. There's something very powerful about being inside that concert hall, something that amplifies your connection to the music and to the musicians. I suppose you can see why I'm telling you all this, right? Because a sacred space, my friend, is like that. It's the spiritual equivalent of the Golden Hall. In fact, you might even say the Golden Hall itself is a sacred space. More about that in a minute. But when you're inside a sacred space, what I'm telling you is that you can feel God's presence. And the feeling seeps not just through your bones, but through your very soul. You know, during my lifetime, I've been really, really fortunate. I've had the privilege of traveling all over the world, mostly on ABC News' Nickel. And I've seen some amazing places, including what I'd call sacred spaces. Now, I don't have time to describe them all, of course, but here are three of my favorites. Okay, are you ready? First, of course, the Crystal Cathedral. <laughs> you know, during the years I knew Dr. Schuler, he often asked me to guest preach for him. And it meant delivering the Sunday message twice, once at 9 a.m. and then again at 11 a.m. There were two services. Now, the service was videotaped and it was broadcast worldwide as the hour of power. Have you ever heard it or seen it? I think it reached something like 33 million people all over the world, including, by the way, Red China. It's pretty amazing. Anyway, one Sunday morning, about an hour before the first service was to begin, I was getting ready in Dr. Schuler's dressing room in the basement of the cathedral, huge basement. All of a sudden, while I was getting ready, the empty cathedral was filled with the sounds of the orchestra and the choir rehearsing for the service. Just like in the Golden Hall, I felt myself carried away to a place of utter peace and contentment. Even as I describe it to you now, I can still 
experience that feeling again. Afterward, afterward, when the music stopped and we were about getting ready to, to, to actually do the service, you know, I flashed on the character of Quasimodo. Now, I know it sounds weird, but listen to this. At that moment, I wanted to be like him. I wanted to be like Quasimodo. Remember the story? Quasimodo was a hunchback who lived inside the bell tower of the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Well, at that moment, I wanted to live in the basement of the Crystal Cathedral for the rest of my life. I never wanted to leave that sacred space. That's how precious that experience felt to me. I don't know if it's coming across to you in my words, but I'm doing my best to describe what I felt. Anyway, second on my short list of sacred spaces that I visited is Israel. Now, I've been to Israel four times. Three of those times I went for ABC News and I filmed all over the region. Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, Jericho, the Dead Sea, you name it. And I worked with Israeli crews, by the way, and I fell in love with the Israeli people. To this day, they are some of my favorite people on the planet. Most of all, though, as I walked around the old city of Jerusalem, and I remember doing it early in the morning, I had the distinct feeling that here, this place, was the mother of all sacred spaces, the planet's spiritual ground zero. In fact, I remember when I was walking around the walled city, envisioning lines, like lines of longitude from all over the earth, literally converging on Jerusalem, like a bullseye. It's a feeling I've never experienced anywhere else in the world. And as I said, I've traveled all over the world. Okay, third on my short list of sacred spaces that I have visited are the Caves of Lascaux. Now, you've never heard of them perhaps, but they're in southwestern France near the village of Montagnac. Years ago when I was at Good Morning America, the French government gave me permission to go inside those caves. And it was a very big deal. Why? Because the caves are permanently closed to the public. Not even my film crew was given the green light. Only my wife, Laurel, and I were allowed inside. And even then, just for 20 minutes. Why the big deal, you wonder? Well, because inside Lascaux are some of the oldest, most well-preserved cave paintings in the world. Inside, all over the cave walls are about 600 paintings and 1,500 engravings, dating back more than 15,000 years. Imagine that. It was a time when the earth was warming up. They were going through global warming, thawing out from the last ice age. Now, during our 20-minute visit, we were allowed to turn on our flashlights for only a few seconds at a time. 
because they didn't want us to disturb the internal environment. That was the whole idea of keeping the, why they were keeping the caves closed because these paintings could easily deteriorate if you allowed people to just traipse through there. But every time I turned on my little flashlight, I saw stunning hand-drawn images of horses, bison, birds, and a variety of geometrical shapes. Yeah. They were done in black, in white, yellow, and red. These were colors created from natural substances found in the region, like burned wood, manganese, and iron oxides. Now, you might be wondering, why in the world, Dr. G, would you consider this place, Lascaux, to be a sacred space? Well, if you've been following my journeys, you'll know the answer. It's because Lascaux is a testament. Now listen to this. Lascaux is a testament to human SQ, human spiritual intelligence. As I've explained, SQ, SQ, my friend, not IQ, is what separates us from every other creature on earth. Lots of animals have IQ. I've explained that before, but none of them have SQ. SQ is what empowers you and me to perceive the existence of God and of profound realities you can't see with your measly eyes or prove with simple-minded logic or even imagine. I don't care how imaginative you are. These are profound realities that even the liveliest imagination cannot possibly even begin to imagine. SQ, my friend, SQ is also what drives human creativity. There's nothing like it. Sure, other creatures are creative. For example, bees create beautiful hives. There's no question about that. And spiders create beautiful webs. But no other creature on the planet creates anything close to what we do. Science, architecture, literature, music, and art. Look, no gorilla, no chimp, no other creature with zero SQ has ever built or wished to build anything like the Golden Hall or the Crystal Cathedral or Jerusalem or the cave paintings of Lascaux. All of these spectacular creations are the products of our spirituality. They're not the products of any so-called Darwinian struggle for survival. Let me put it another way, okay? Life was rough for those cave dwellers of Lascaux 15,000 years ago. 
and drawing on cave walls didn't put food on their table or help them to procreate. Yet they took the time and trouble to paint of all things. Why? Because those uneducated, unshaven, Paleolithic hunters, just like you and me, were made in the image of a creative God. Those exquisite paintings in Lascaux were spiritual acts of creation, which makes those caves a Paleolithic cathedral. That's why I consider Lascaux a sacred space. So there you go. Three of my favorite sacred spaces in the whole wide world. And I could go on and on and on, but I won't. What about you? Do you know of any sacred spaces? If so, I'd love to hear about them. Message me, please, or post them on my social media pages and share them with your fellow travelers. For now, what I want to do is push ahead on our journey. This is just beginning. We're just getting warmed up. I want to push ahead on our journey and ask this question now. What exactly makes a sacred space sacred? Does it have any specific, special, physical traits that we can pinpoint? Now, let me just say this as an aside. If we were asking this question about music spaces, the answer would be easy. Because according to acoustical engineers, there are three things that make for a heavenly music space, like Vienna's Golden Hall. First, it's shape. The hall is shaped like a shoebox. <laughs> I know that sounds funny, but it turns out that a shoebox is the ideal shape for optimizing sound quality. We've discovered that over the years. Second, building materials. Now, soft materials like, you know, curtains and carpets absorb sound and therefore make for bad acoustics. They may look pretty, but they make for bad acoustics. The Golden Hall has hard surfaces, very few soft surfaces. It has a hardwood floor and its interior is decorated with tall gold leaf metallic statues marble busts, and giant glass chandeliers. Listen to acoustical engineer Trevor Cox, he's British, explain the amazing effect of all those hard surfaces. Quote, the sound bounces and reverberates around the room, and so reaches the listeners from lots of different directions, and spreads out in time. This reverberation enriches the sound the orchestra makes and makes you feel enveloped by the sound." Unquote. I love that. Enveloped by the sound. You're surrounded by the sound. You're not just sitting there listening to the sound come at you, but you feel like you're surrounded by the sound. Okay. Third, insulation. In Southern California, I've been to outdoor concerts at the Hollywood Bowl, very famous place, right? 
at night under the stars, oh man, it's definitely a magical experience, especially if you want to take a date. It's very romantic. You sit out on the lawn <laughs> under the stars. Woo, it's great. But the acoustics are not great. Okay, so the environment is great, very romantic, but the acoustics are lousy. And the experience is ruined by the noises of the busy city all around it. You know, traffic all the time, day and night there. That's why, my friend, most concert halls are extremely well insulated. In many cases, in fact, their walls include a sizable air gap, which is a really good sound insulator. And their floors are mounted on springs to absorb any outside vibrations. Yeah, pretty elaborate. Now, back to the question of what makes sacred spaces sacred. It turns out, and this is interesting, some sacred spaces do resemble ideal music spaces. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, I remember watching a movie called War Room. Have you ever seen it? It's one of the highest grossing Christian motion pictures of all time, War Room. Now, in it, there's an old woman named Miss Clara Williams, and she's known to be a great prayer warrior. Many times a day, Miss Clara steps into her sacred space, which is a closet inside her house, and she gets down on her knees and looks to God for help. Now, interestingly, her prayer closet has the very same key features as Vienna's famous Golden Hall. Yeah. <laughs> it has a shoebox shape. It has hard walls. And it's insulated from the hustle and bustle of the outside world. There you go. That said, however, not all sacred spaces work that way, okay? For example, whereas the outdoors makes for a lousy music space, like I was explaining with the Hollywood Bowl, it makes for an awesome sacred space. Yeah. In fact, for me, let me tell you, the most spiritually powerful Easter services I've ever attended were held outdoors. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when we were living in Malibu Canyon, we attended Easter services outdoors under a huge tent overlooking the Pacific Ocean. Oh my gosh, it's called the Malibu Bluffs. I've never felt closer to God than under that tent in the great outdoors, let me tell you. you know, I once even had a vision, get this, for an outdoor ministry, yes. I had a landscape architect create drawings of my vision and even scouted around Southern California for an ideal sacred space. Now, sad to say that ministry never happened. God called me to do other things, which included producing a family movie, Little Red Wagon, look it up. But I still have those drawings. I do. So who knows? Stay tuned. With God, you never know, my friend. You never know. But you know what? It reminds me of the great British evangelist, George Whitfield. You know, during the 18th century, he decided to start preaching outdoors to common laborers, to common people. Now, his fellow Anglican colleagues were horrified at the thought, oh, good Lord, no, 
outdoors to common people. They were used to preaching to well-dressed people inside proper four-wall churches. Oy, no, not outdoors. But you know what? Whitfield didn't care. And over the course of his lifetime, get this, he ended up preaching outdoors to a total of 10 million people. Amazing. Good for him. <laughs> so, sacred spaces then do not behave like music spaces. Sometimes they do, but not necessarily. Okay? They don't follow a rigid set of conditions. Very interesting. In fact, Sacred spaces, when you look into the subject, come in all conceivable shapes, sizes, and styles. You know? Like the sacred Camino de Santiago. That's the path pilgrims from all over the world take to the tomb of St. James in Galicia, Spain. Or like the sacred pyramids of the Maya Indians in the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico. Or like the Ganges River in India, considered sacred by the Hindu religion. Sacred spaces come in all conceivable shapes, sizes, and styles. You know, when we were living in Southern California, our church was destroyed by a wildfire. For several years, while the church was being rebuilt, we were forced to worship first at the nearby Jewish center. They were very kind to us to let us in and worship there. Then at a local arts center, the Malibu Arts Center. Then at a local elementary school. And then finally a sprung structure. And if you've never heard about that, it's kind of a fancy tent. But in each case, the location became a sacred space for us. In fact, when I look back on that experience, I can honestly tell you that our church was never more on fire for the Lord than during those many months when we went from one place to another. Each of them became sacred. When all is said and done, in other words, my friend, I believe any place is sacred. I'm going to repeat that. I believe any place is sacred. If, if, it's conditional, if you yourself treat it as holy ground, if you yourself go there to meet with God, if you yourself go there to proclaim God, okay? You know, I think of my paternal grandfather, after whom I'm named. I loved my paternal grandfather, Dr. Miguel Guillen, Dr. Michael Gillen in English. You know, my grandfather grew up as an atheist. But one day, one day while visiting Kingsville, Texas, he happened to hear music. Yeah. Following the sound, he came to a storefront. Inside, there was a group of Christians having a worship service. It was so random. <laughs> Curious, my grandfather went inside and stood in the back. He was not a, a religious man. He was an atheist, but he was curious, and he had nothing else to do. He was just waiting around for something in Kingsville, okay? And by some miracle, I won't go into the details. Some other time I will. But by some miracle, what my grandfather saw and heard during that service 
changed him completely. Right then and there, he became a Christian. I'm not kidding you. Immediately afterward, Grandpa returned to his hometown, which was Los Indios, Texas, right on the Mexican border, and he began preaching under the shade of a huge ebony tree. Now, years later, through a series of miraculous developments, and there's no other way to put it, miraculous developments, my grandfather became the president of the oldest independent Spanish-speaking Pentecostal organization in the country. Today, it has hundreds of churches throughout the U.S., Mexico, and Central America. Why am I telling you this? Because my grandfather's experience perfectly summarizes the nature of sacred spaces. Yes, there are places specially designed to be sacred, you know, like the Crystal Cathedral or the Holy City of Jerusalem. But those amazing venues are far outnumbered by countless ordinary places all over the world. Ordinary places made sacred by you and by me. By our SQ-driven desire to connect with God and the unseen world. You know, in his first letter to the early church in Corinth, which is in Greece, the Apostle Paul puts it this way, quote, Don't you realize that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Unquote. Oh, you are that temple. You are sacred. In other words, my friend, the Bible is saying that when you voluntarily allow yourself to be inhabited by the Spirit of God, then you, you, you yourself become a sacred space. You see, that big old ebony tree was nothing special until my grandfather came along. Bursting with the Spirit of God, it was he who transformed that ordinary tree into an outdoor holy temple. That's why sacred spaces can be anywhere on the planet. A concert hall, a cave, a closet, an elementary school, a tent, and yes, even a storefront in a small Texas town. So then, my friend, if you sincerely wish to connect with the creator of the universe, go no further than where you are at this very minute. Because where you're standing or sitting right now is holy ground, made sacred by you, God's heavenly creation, and by your unique 
and powerful spiritual intelligence. Okay, that's it for now. Remember, this podcast is not a lecture series. It's a conversation. So now it's your turn. Comments, questions, I'm eager to hear from you. There's all kinds of ways you can connect up with me via my social media links in the show notes below. Till next time, I'm still Dr. G saying, I love science, I love God, I also love you, my fellow traveler. Thanks for listening.